Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of the podcast. Uh, I just returned home from Brazil, and uh, there we launched my new technology book in Portuguese at the conference uh, hosted by our friends at Fiel, which was a wonderful honor. In fact, uh, I discovered that thousands of Brazilians listen regularly to this podcast, <laughs> and uh, there's even a Portuguese version of APJ. So hello to all of you listening right now. Uh, it was a delight to meet many of you in Ashibaya and to receive your gratitude for this podcast for APJ, which you wanted me to pass along to Pastor John. So I get to Thank do that. Thank you very much. Now <laughs> I appreciate intro. it. Yeah. So on behalf of at least the hundreds of Brazilian Christians that I met. Thank you, Pastor John, for your decade long investment in this podcast. In a joy. Well, while I was in Brazil, uh, big news broke here in the States. Roe v. Wade has been overturned by the Supreme Court. Mm. Uh, on Friday, the SCOTUS ruling was made official. We knew it was coming. Uh, back on May 2nd, a draft opinion of the decision was leaked. Uh, I texted you immediately when that news broke, Pastor John, mm -hmm. and uh, that's now official. Roe was overturned Friday on June 24. This is not the end of abortion. Uh, this simply turns the legal status of abortion back to individual states, and uh, the work of defending the unborn is far from over. Mm -hmm. uh, discerning Christians will continue to ask, what should Christians be doing? Um, our work is urgent, and our work is now more local. Uh, so it might be helpful for our listeners to know something of what you have done, Pastor John, over the past four decades. Mm -hmm. um, as the work continues, what has been your answer to the question, what should I do? How have you answered that question in your own life and ministry? Well, I don't see myself as the ideal pro-life person because I am fallible. I am sinful. There are things I've left undone in the last 40 years. Things could have been done better. But uh, as you and I have reflected on this, uh, and as I thought about my own life, looking at imperfect examples in my life has often proved very helpful, very inspiring to me in my Christian walk. And so I will go ahead and venture to say some things that I've done, mm. imperfect though they have been, and, and hope that they will be a help to others. So here are the sorts of things that, that I've done in the last 40 years or so. And I think they are the sorts of things that will probably need to be done now for years to come, long after I'm gone. Yeah. So beginning in 1987, I preached at least one explicitly pro-life message every year, with, I think, two exceptions along the way in my pastoral trek, until my stepping away from the pastoral leadership in 2013. The last one I preached was January 2021, because the church invited me back for that Sunday. It was called Doing the Right Thing Never Ruins Your Life. I looked at it the other day, and I'm really persuaded that message is super important. So it's there at Desiring God. That's about 25 morning messages on Sanctity of Life Sunday over my pastoral life. I recall the very first pro-life sermon I preached was from James chapter 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have, therefore you kill. Hmm. And I still think that text is one of the most penetrating biblical texts about the origin of abortion uh, in the Bible. Second, I tried to spread those messages by putting a few of them in a little book called uh, Exposing the Dark Work of Abortion, which I think is, is free at Desiring God. And then 
when Desiring God came into existence in the mid-90s, we, we put all these sermons online where they are today. Third, I wrote articles for Desiring God and for other outlets, and the one that I, I think is still about the most helpful is 15 Pro-Life Truths to Speak, which I think is available there at Desiring God. Fourth, since we started, you and me, Tony, how long has it been? Ten years since we started? Almost it? a decade, yeah. Okay, so f- for those ten years, there are at least, as I counted them, ten podcasts of Ask Pastor John related to abortion. Yeah. Fifth, I love to write poetry about the things that move me. And I mean move me positively and move me negatively. And I've written two relating to the pro-life cause. One is called It, about a young woman who goes in for an abortion, and they keep referring to her baby as It. And then after the procedure, she lifts up her head and sees this little tiny torso on the tray and notices it's unmistakably female Mm. and is overwhelmed with her. This is not an it. This was not an it. Experiences like that, hearing things like that, have moved me over the years to, to write poetry about the cause of life. Sixth, I've tried to pray and lead our people in praying against the sin of child killing and for the spiritual miracles that will have to happen in people's lives so that it is overcome in what they want, not just what they do. Seventh, I mobilized our people to be part of major rallies, and I participated in them myself, like the MCCL, uh, Minnesota Citizens Concern for Life Rally at the Capitol here in Minnesota every year. Usually it's below zero. (laughs) It's just absolutely (laughs) unforgettable to march with five or 10,000 other people when the wind is howling and everybody's bundled up like Eskimos, and you're walking in the cause of, of prayerful support for the opposition to child killing in this country. Eighth, there was a season of about three years where I was part of direct action and civil disobedience sitting in front of abortion clinics to block the way into the place of death, arrested several times, spent one night in jail. Ninth, I encouraged and shared in sidewalk counseling where you simply stand peacefully outside abortion clinics and offer literature and conversation to anyone entering in the hopes that perhaps one last obstacle to overcome would help and might change their minds. Tenth, uh, I took an abortionist doctor. This is one of the most memorable things in my life. I just, I just felt so inauthentic, not dealing directly with abortionists, that I, I found a way to contact an abortionist doctor about four blocks from my house, and uh, I took him out to lunch. I, to, I told him, I'm, I'm a local pastor. I'm, I'm pro-life. I want to understand you. Would you go out to lunch? And he was, he was willing. And so I went with my 10 points to make the case that he was killing children. And he disarmed me immediately by saying, I know I'm killing children. It's the lesser of two evils. And the other evil, he said, was it's unjust that men can have sex and bear no consequences, but women can have sex and have to bear all the consequences. That's unjust. 
Killing the child is the solution to that injustice. His wife, he said, I mean, he really was unbelievably honest with me. He said, I wouldn't be doing it except my wife pressures me to do it. She believes it's the path of justice. Eleventh, mm. I give financially, regularly to several pro-life organizations. Twelfth, while I was a pastor, I tried to cultivate a life-affirming culture, which included things like a strong, positive view of adoption as a beautiful and normal thing, a strong ministry to the disabled to combat any notion that would have been better if they'd been aborted. I tried to encourage the most pro-life engaged people so that they didn't feel like they were marginal in this church, but crucial. And generally, I tried to create the atmosphere that this church community is unashamedly pro-life and anti-abortion, without any fear that this would have offensive effects on some people. I'm sure those people just migrated to other churches where this issue was completely neglected, And uh, that was sad. I would rather have them change their mind, but we weren't going to mute this crucial reality. And finally, and this may be the most important thing, Tony, we did not turn the church into a political or social think tank or action group for the sake of any earthly cause, including the cause of pro-life, for the sake of preserving the power and effectiveness of our prophetic witness, we did not make the pro-life cause the main thing. The main thing is the glory of God. And under the glory of God, the salvation of sinners from the wrath of God through the glorious substitutionary work of Jesus Christ dying for sinners on the cross The glory of God shining through the salvation of sinners by the blood of Jesus is the main thing. Far greater than the danger of abortion is the danger of hell. Rescuing people for eternal life is more crucial and more loving than rescuing babies from abortion. In other words, We care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Hmm. And I think it is precisely this maintenance of spiritual proportion that is, which keeps in clear view that our citizenship is in heaven and we're rescuing lost people as we wait for our Savior. That spiritual proportion, that maintenance of spiritual priority and proportion is what gave us Christian credibility over decades Mm. in the cause of life, rather than simply sinking down to the level of being a world-oriented band of do-gooders. We are Christians before we are pro-life. We are Christ-exalting before we are life-exalting. We want to save souls, the souls of mothers and fathers, as much as we want to save the bodies of the babies. Hmm. The aim for us is not just the 
end of abortion, but the eternal joy of forgiven sinners. Amen. Yeah, you've been in this fight uh, against abortion for a very long time. Uh, so now the court has effectively struck down Roe v. Wade, mm. uh, making it possible for states to legally protect the unborn. And many states are doing that very thing right now. Um, so what's your own reaction to the SCOTUS decision and this most recent news? I am thankful. And the reason I am thankful is mainly because this was the right thing to do. A federal law that prevents the legal protection of children from being killed is an evil law. An evil law has been in place for 50 years. Mm. It is a good thing that the evil law is gone, and I am thankful to God, to God in his glorious providence that it is gone. And if someone says to me, which I thought they might, so I said it, (laughs) if someone says to me, aren't you thankful, John, because lives are going to be saved. You seem distressed. It's the right thing. Aren't you thankful that lives are going to be saved? My answer is, I hope they are. And I will be thankful if they are. But there are too many variables at play here for me to know what is really going to happen in America as far as the loss of life goes. For all I know, we may be entering an era of such visceral rage and coldness of love and multiplication of wickedness, both on the right and on the left, that a civil war right here in America could take hundreds of thousands of lives. Mm. It happened just 160 years ago, and the issue of killing millions of children is as explosive as the horrors of slavery. Hmm. Or another upshot could be over the next 10 or 20 years that the morning after pill or some new pill for weeks after or months after becomes so cheap, so effective, so free from side effects that abortions may double, triple, quadruple in their frequency over what they are now, with no need for Planned Parenthood at all. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. It could. Or another possible scenario is that this kind of freedom from consequences of pregnancy unleashes a new tidal wave of premarital sex and some new lethal strain of venereal disease arises with hundreds of thousands of young people dying every year. That's an easy possibility. In other words, I don't know. I don't know if the overturning of Roe v. Wade will save lives. I hope so. I pray so. It was absolutely the right thing to do, whether more lives are saved or not. But the wickedness afoot in America is very deep. And where it will take us as a culture, I do not know. Lives are destroyed by sin. Abortion 
whether with suction or a pill, is only one kind of sin that destroys life. There are so many more. Over a hundred thousand people, for example, just recently now, are dying every year from drug overdoses, and most of those people are not people on the street anymore. They're middle-class opioid users who can't find meaning in life. And there will, I don't doubt, arise other new ways of destroying ourselves as wickedness multiplies. Yeah, the dark side of our potent technologies, uh, mm. amplifying our self-destructiveness. And, and this leads to my final question as we wrap up this special episode. Uh, I heard you say recently in a meeting that the real post-Roe v. Wade challenge will not be how to make abortions hard to get, uh, but how to make them hard to approve of in the human heart. Explain that. What did you mean by that line? I meant that the main battle for human righteousness is not fought at the level of human behavior, but at the level of human desire. Hmm. Jesus said in Matthew fifteen nineteen, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Now, at least four of those sins relate directly to abortion. Murder, that's what abortion is. Adultery and sexual immorality. At least 85% of abortions are owing to sexual immorality because 83% of abortions are done on single women, mm. not counting the cases of rape and incest. Those women and their boyfriends sinned by having sex, which God has protected by putting it in the happy bounds of covenant-keeping marriage. False witness, that too comes from the heart, and the entire abortion industry is built on false witness, namely that the unborn are not human persons. We can build legal dams to keep the river of sin that pours out of the human heart from flooding the world with actual behaviors like abortion. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to build those dams with laws. That's what all good laws do. They make it harder for the sinful heart to overflow in outward crimes. That just happened with the overturn of Roe v. Wade. It was a good thing. But we should remember that if the river of sin that flows from the human heart is simply dammed up and nothing changes the heart, that river is going to build behind the dam until the reservoir is so deep and so heavy that no legal dam no mere law can hold it back, and a tidal wave of wickedness will overflow the land. So what I meant was, and I'm thinking of, of Christians now, especially pastors, is that's our job, preaching to change those hearts. That's our job, to portray the glories of Jesus Christ so clearly 
with such spiritual power that people will see and their hearts will be changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 describes that miracle. It says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Our main job is not new laws, good as that may be, but new hearts. That's our main job. If that doesn't happen, new laws will collapse under the pressure of unchanged hearts. It's only a matter of time. But even that way of saying it bothers me. (laughs) It skews the reality in an unbiblical direction. It gives the impression that we want to change hearts mainly to preserve good laws. That's not the main reason. The main reason to quote Jesus in John 3, 3 is this. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without a Christ-exalting heart change, people perish. We perish. It is a loving thing to work for good laws. It is more loving to help people enter the kingdom of God. The overturning of Roe v. Wade will have its greatest effect if its limitations give life to the Christian truth, you must be born again. Yeah, new hearts that love Christ and as a result, love others, especially the most vulnerable. That's our ultimate aim here. Thank you, Pastor John, for this perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I doubt this will be the last time we address uh, the evil of abortion on the podcast. It's certainly not the first time. As you mentioned earlier, we have 10 or so episodes in the archive. You can find them all at askpastorjohn.com. Type the keyword abortion to see that title list. As I look through that list, APJ 9 stands out way back in episode 9. We looked at your own involvement uh, with the anti-abortion demonstrations in the late 1980s and early 1990s, including times when you were arrested and once imprisoned. Uh, You can find that episode at AskPastorJohn.com. That's APJ number nine. Uh, Well, we have a a slate of new episodes recorded and ready to go for you all summer long. The next two months are full of fascinating questions that you have emailed us. Be watching for those new episodes. Uh, But this is a a wrap for us. We're about to split for the summer, taking a break from our recordings. And uh, Pastor John, you're repositioning for a few months on the East Coast to focus on a, a project. Yeah, eager to do it. Sorry to be away from you, but uh, I'm glad we we've been able to stay on top of this, so yeah. people don't have to take a break from APJ. And I'll I'll be working on look at the book mainly for seven weeks as I kind of bury myself out of the way and try to make progress on that project. Oh, excellent! And then in two months we will be together on stage live at the Getty Sing Conference in Nashville. I was working on my message yesterday. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait for that too. Uh, that's coming up on September 6th, 1.30 p.m. local time will be the APJ recording. Um, we'll be on the main stage, Pastor John and myself, and we will record five episodes live, Lord willing. We did this exact same thing back in 2019. And so I hope to see many of you in Nashville on September 6th. Uh, for now, thanks for listening to this special episode of the Ask Pastor John podcast, and we will see you again very soon.